Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today is part two with the great David Sobolov. We talk a lot about his process and unique opportunities voice acting for live action products like The Flash and Bumblebee. But first, let's hop straight into the part where David talks about losing his voice for six months. That is my nightmare. You know, you mentioned vocal damage, and that reminds me, in Kif's podcast episode with you, you mentioned um, there was some uh, some work you did that led to not being able to use your voice for six months. Yeah, I lost my voice for six months on a video game, and I learned um, you can't scream for four hours two times a week for three weeks in a row and expect to have a voice. Um, I had a casting director tell me fairly recently that the only actor in town that she's ever seen that can scream more than an hour and still maintain the voice print that they want mm-hmm is Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, wow. She's never met anybody else that can do it. And if you're a producer, it's changing now. I mean, it used to be in the old days of video games. I've been doing this video game thing for, I've done 90 video games now, over 20 years of them. And, you know, I'm not as prolific as some, but, you know, I pace myself. And in the old days, the very first video game I did was called Homeland. And Homeland, they didn't have an interactive contract. It was a theatrical contract. I had an eight-hour session. Can you imagine screaming for eight hours? Oh, man. So yeah. they poured me in the cab. I don't even remember how I got home. It was almost like I was, was drugged or something. Yeah. And I slept for 10 hours. Wow. But I was young, and I could bounce back from that. Well, now, you know, being older, and it might not even be about being older, but just like screaming as if you're in the middle of you know uh, combat where you're, you're shooting and yelling and running around. They used to have these scream and die videos, video games. Most of the video games were just screaming and dying, screaming and dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd have you in for those four-hour sessions. And it's just, you know, one time I did a game. I have to just always never use the names of the games. I don't want to, like, you know, say bad things sure. about people. No but yeah. four hours, I did four hours of tons of different characters and a lot of screaming until 6 p.m. And then they had me in at 9 o'clock the next morning to another four hours. And the person that was supervising all the voice for the game company happened to be there that day. And she told them, never do that again. Huh. Wow. Because you, you have to think we're human beings. And when I did Bumblebee the movie, I didn't ask for this, but they knew. Even that first line that I scream, it's bigger than life. It's bigger than TV. It's on a huge screen. I was thinking IMAX. Mm-hmm. We pretty much only did that one line for about an hour, and that was the whole session. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, was, I was feeling, I was seeing stars after almost every take. It was that big. Mm-hmm. Um, Fred Tattashore tells famous stories about him passing out doing Hulk. Yeah. And they used it in the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they man. used the sound of him passing out. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I didn't. I think that's yeah. There was one where he was screaming for so long that his throat ended up bleeding, and yeah, it can get really. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever experienced the blood thing. I've heard about that. Um, Michael Bell used to talk about. Well, it's not a great performance unless you leave some lung tissue on the glass. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I think nowadays we're a little more human. We're we're all treating each other a little bit more kindly, yeah. looking at vocal safety. And just, man, if you have a session that really, if you feel anything after the session that's not just scratchy, but like pain, if you're feeling pain after the session, mm-hmm. A, I can't even say you're doing it wrong because I don't really think there's a safe way to scream the way they want you to scream sometimes. Right. Just try to schedule yourself so you're not using your voice for a couple of days. Take a day off. Texting is your friend. Um, it's amazing how healing an entire day of not speaking is. <laughs> and I rarely do it, but sometimes if I have to, 
I'll just be texting. I might have tea with lemon this, or honey for me, not lemon. Mm. And never black tea for some reason. Black tea is kind of abrasive mm. on the vocal cords. Interesting. I wonder if it's, yeah, I think it has a higher caffeine content. Maybe that's why. I don't know. But I don't know. So that was six months of basically not being able to speak and use your voice, knowing that your job is using your voice. So how did, what was, were those six months like for you? What did you do to pass the time? And make I, a I, ha- well, I have this very weird way of looking at health. <laughs> sometimes I, I definitely want to take care of my health, but mm-hmm. sometimes a major thing will happen and I'll just accept that that's the way it is, which is kind of mm-hmm. stupid. Like I didn't ever go to a doctor. I oh, just wow. didn't talk for six. I just could. I was talking like this for six months. I just kept thinking I'd wake up one morning and it would be better. Now I don't encourage anyone to do that. If if that happens to them for more than a week, they should go see a doctor. Um, but I could still like make the voice work for maybe like fifteen minutes. Like mm. I could turn it on for like fifteen minutes. So I had a commercial, and the commercial paid really well. I was very very lucky. I had that one commercial that I did, and that and residuals kept me going for six months. But I thought I was wow. done. After a few months, and it was interesting. I'd be in meetings, like union meetings, and I'm used to people hearing my voice really clearly, and no one was responding to things I was saying because it changes the psychology of the way people treat yeah. you because they <laughs> they can't they can't really hear you, so they don't take you seriously. Right. But yeah, I was I was kind of scared. I didn't know if I'd ever work again. But then one day it came back. My upper end was gone, so any mm-hmm. falsetto I could do or any sort of um, I used to have this wonderful thing I love to do like. Uh, when we did a video game and I had to do fire, like, like I'm on fire. Mm. <laughs> that was one of my favorite vocalizations to do, but I can't do it anymore because I can't oh. get into that high range. Huh. It just fries. I'd imagine. I mean, like you said, you're straight. You didn't go to the doctor. Your strategy was to just hope that one day you'd wake up and your voice would well, be back. But dumb, after... dumb strategy. But yeah. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After four months, were you still like, I'm going to stick with this strategy or, you know, you must've had doubts at some point. Well, I don't know. I don't know why I just believe that I get better. And that's not a, again, that's not a real thing, but it just, it worked out. Um, maybe I was, you know, I, I just don't even remember why I wasn't panicking. <laughs> For some reason I didn't. Like one time when I was a kid, I was going to an amusement park with a whole group of kids and a bus and we got there and everybody was really excited and people were jumping over the seats to get out and mm-hmm. I got kicked in the funny bone. Now, if you've ever hit your funny bone, it hurts, but to be kicked in it, Oof. my entire side of my arm was all numb. Mm-hmm. Like couldn't feel it at all. And I just thought, oh, that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. And then w- one day in Canada, they have these things called double broilers where it's, a, it's an electric broiler. It sits mm-hmm. on the countertop. Everything that was electric in Canada when I was growing up, because it was uh-huh. like cheap, cheap electricity from like Niagara Falls. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, it was right close to the edge and I was talking to somebody leaning up against it and my skin touched the double broiler when it was oh. really hot and I jerked my arm away and it, it, it reset it and I could feel my arm again. Oh, wow. <laughs> so maybe I remembered that and just thought, oh, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always been the same way. If, if something horrible happens, I, I tend to adjust to, okay, this is the new norm. But still, I don't, I've never lost my voice for six months. Although, like you said, you had that commercial and the residuals and the, the money you made from the commercial helped sustain you. But the, I'd imagine the session wasn't scheduled for 15 minutes. So were you just hoping to get it done before your voice would fry? Did you let them know? Well, my voice was fried. I didn't let them know. It was mm-hmm. one line. It oh, was okay. um, liquid plumber destroys clogged drains. <laughs> and because it was deep and it was, it was sort of already, it was kind of like uh, supposed to be kind of like uh, grizzly and gritty. Uh-huh. I just thought I'm going to try. And 
it was a 20 minute session and I got through it and I was like this the rest of the day. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it paid enough to live the rest of the year. Man. Oh, I was lucky. God. Yeah. I was lucky. Good on you. That's incredible. So you mentioned Bumblebee and having a screen for an hour straight for that film, uh, which is a good time to ask, you know, because that's not the only film that you've worked on. You, you've worked on Alita. You've worked on several others. So uh, I feel like typically if voice acting is required on a film, that's where it's more celebrity heavy. It's it's not as common for, you know, perennial voice actors to do that type of work. So how did you end up getting getting to work on, you know, a good number of films? And was it just the same process? You got auditions from your agent and it worked out? Well, with Bumblebee, it was really interesting because they didn't want to hire me. That was Scratch. Hmm. That was supposed to be Scratch. And oh. I don't know what happened. Either I proved myself to them well enough that they didn't want to go back to the celebrity or they couldn't find the celebrity they wanted. Robocop years ago was Scratch. That was huh. never meant to be me. Oftentimes it's when the celebrity doesn't want to do it or you like Grodd. Only three people tried for Grodd on the flash. Wow. They thought it was going to be a throwaway one time. And the only reason that that worked out is because I snuck into the back door. That was never meant to be a big part. Huh. So they just brought in somebody to work with the loop group. And after a couple of episodes, they went, well, we want to do something with this. And they, well, he's doing pretty good. We'll keep him. Interesting. A lot of times it's luck. Yeah. You know, Alita, a little, a lot of times though, there are a lot of CGI characters coming up in movies now where they need really good actors to come in and play those roles. Uh, and well, it's interesting because Bumblebee, they had Angela Bassett mm. and they had Justin Thoreau as the two other big CGI villains. Now I didn't have a ton of lines, but my was considered like the third one mm. of the, all the big villains in that, in that show. Right. And I'm sure that I'm, I'm, I know that they, they were intending on hiring a celebrity. They only told me at the last minute for the last session, you got it now. It's yours. So I wow. went through like three sessions just thinking it was Scratch, hoping it was going to be me, but thinking it was Scratch. <laughs> I have a couple of other projects right now for a studio where it's Scratch, mm -hmm. but they're sort of toying, telling me like, maybe it'll be you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you just okay. hope that it will be. <laughs> Interesting. So is this Scratch work that you've been doing, you know, work that your agent brought you or just having been in the industry, you know, proving yourself? people connections you know say hey you mind just giving us the scratch well grod um grod came through an accident i met a casting director in a lobby of a video game i was working on he heard my voice from across the room and said come over here here's my card you're gonna <laughs> try for this role uh that was like that was like a magic hollywood wow. story yeah <laughs> um that was not through an, an agent at first mm. and of course my agent takes good care of me so they're they're handling that now sure. but um Everything else, CESD has very good connections in the theatrical space. Mm. Uh, really great connections to Paramount and great access to films. Like I've done three Star Wars movies now. Pat wow. Brady and, 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 and Kathy Lizio at CESD are just, they know everybody's phone number. And they get these, they get these auditions for us. Uh -huh. So the really big high profile stuff is thanks to CESD. Mm. There's no way that I would be able to get that on my own. That's incredible. Oh, man. You mentioned. And I love doing movies. Movies yeah. are my favorite thing now. Okay, cool. Yeah, you beat me to a question. And, and uh, you know, I'm still going to ask it a little bit later, but I'm curious about uh, Grodd. So you mentioned you went in with the loop group. You were essentially doing I was the... part of the loop group, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they made me do loop along with everybody else for two hours. Huh. I did soldiers and other things and all that. And then I did the Grodd part. Uh, not recommended. You know, if I, if I ran the world, 
and you were playing a featured role that you were cast for specifically, don't have the actor do the loop because you we, are you going to have trouble maybe getting that voice out of them two hours later? Not a, a good plan. But you know that was how it was budgeted. It was a loop group thing at scale. And then I only I only did the loop group I think twice, and then they had me on my own after that. Okay. And when you did the Grodd sessions, because it's a CGI character, so um, was the CGI complete when they'd have you come in and do the voice? Or was it sort of more like, you know, prelay animation in that the voice came first? Um, mostly, I would have some picture to refer to. They usually bring me in the same week that they shoot. And mm-hmm. Grodd, it takes so long to do. Three quarters of it will be done. Like, it'll be partially rendered, partially. Like, like it was with Bumblebee. You know, right. you could see sort of like... Uh, the beginnings of it some was fully animated some wasn't but you get a good sense one time it was a lot of fun i got to see the actual like on set what they're doing with grot on set and it's oh, a cool. a guy that is a um he's a stand-in more or less or, or a um a stunt person mm-hmm. and he's in a big gorilla suit really super tall on stilts <laughs> so that the actors have eye line and he's saying the lines like a champ he sounds great um <laughs> It's not deep and gravelly, but he's, he sounds really good. Mm-hmm. And they're interact. They have someone to interact with them. Wow. Um, but and I got to work with that. You know, they play him uh-huh. to stuff and then turn off his, his the production audio, and I I would just do the voice on uh-huh. top of that. For the last episode, Grod friended me. Uh, it was it was more done than I'd ever seen it. It was pretty much completely animated when I got I to see. do it. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's so much better than you know having to perform with tennis balls that will eventually turn into monsters, but. And you said that was a stunt guy still memorizing yeah, the, the, he's um he he's credit what is his credit his credit is stand, see he really he's kind of a stand-in really okay. it's hard to really say i think there's different people that consider different, that that role different things mm-hmm. um i think traditionally he would be a stand-in but i think he was credited as stunts okay got it and they they shoot the flash in vancouver right mm-hmm Okay, so did you just fly over just to, you know, have a look on the set to see? How I, it I, it's too bad because of COVID. Now I have been yeah. invited to the set. I can go anytime I want. You know, well, I mean, I shouldn't say anytime I want. I'd have to ask, and they'd have to arrange it. But right. not now. Yeah, yeah. I can't go up there now. I, yeah. I wish I had taken the. I wish I had taken the chance to go. I was also invited to their hundredth episode gala party in Vancouver, mm-hmm. but I didn't get to go. Oh man! So I've never been up to Vancouver. They very kindly one Christmas. The entire cast signed a script for me and sent sent it down as a Christmas present. That's nice. Um, that the the producer arranged for me. That was nice. Uh, there is something that I aspired to get um, at the beginning of of the Flash, if it still exists. It was like a license plate, but they they printed it out to say Grodd, and it was <laughs> hanging on his cage, sort of sideways. If that isn't CGI, if that physically exists, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll let me have that when the series is over. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I've been asking for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope. I mean, what else would they do with that? I think I think you've deserved it at this point from your humble I, I, beginnings. Yeah. You, to... <laughs> you, know, you know what, Sean? I, I never use that word. Mm. I don't deserve anything. I deserve to be paid what you promised to pay me. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't know. I think for me, and I'm not like criticizing the use of it, but just for me, sure. it breeds a sense of entitlement. Right. I don't right. really like to use it much. Fair I enough. deserved that. You can yeah. feel good about yourself. But like I deserved it. Well, <laughs> you worked for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a word that I would use for myself, um, but I totally get your point. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned that working on films doing as a voice actor on films is your favorite type of voice acting to do. You've done all types of voice acting. You've worked on games, on animated series, on films. So 
is there any type of voice acting you either haven't been involved in or have done very little that you'd like to do more of? I'd like to do more of. Hmm, more films, more films. I just love mm -hmm. the films. Um, more animation. Mm -hmm. Always love doing animation. Um, and games that are interesting and not screamy. You know, I, I love doing games uh, as long as there, there's something going on with an interesting, interesting part. It's, it's funny that a lot of you, you rarely see it now, but once for a long time, all the roles were the same. You know, I was doing the screamy soldier, uh, nice. and all the lines were the same in every single game. Well, now they're doing a lot more with games with story. Yeah, so it can get a lot more interesting. So I, I'm open to anything where the character is is compelling. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not super into doing audiobooks. It's just so, something that is, it's a great skill if you're good at it. I'm kind of better in, in short little hour, two hour sessions. Right. Um, the days and days and days of, of keeping that alive in a book is, mm -hmm. is not really my thing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how you can have a four hour video game session. And even if they use you for the whole four hours or for dubbing, for example, you're you know, there'll be pauses, you'll be redirected or you'll, for dubbing, you'll, you'll look at the scene, make sure it syncs up right. Um, whereas for audiobooks, like you really notice how long four hours of talking nonstop is when you're doing an audiobook. It's definitely a marathon. Um, mm -hmm. So what is it about films that, that you love so much? Well, I'm getting into directing as well. I've done some live action directing and I'm hoping to do my first feature in the next couple of years. Mm. So that is interesting to me from that side of it. And mm -hmm. being able to do, it's just, I, know, I like being, I like being the whole milieu of it going onto an ADR stage and you've got the yeah. big screen in front of you. And sometimes if you're lucky, you have the actual director of the entire movie with you, mm -hmm. which is super cool. And it also elevates the whole art of voice acting. It, it tells the world voice actors are actors mm -hmm. and not just doing voices. Um, not that we ever were, but a lot of people consider it. That, you know, you've seen celebrities that have, have quipped, oh, it's easy. Yeah, I can do it in my pajamas and all that. And I've had other celebrities in actual shows come to me with sweats after our first <laughs> hour. How do you do this? Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not easy, and it's to me it's just there's so many different elements in film because you, you know, challenges that you have. You have it. It's like it's not quite anime. I mean, you got your you've got the picture in front of you. But you're creating a voice to that picture. Like I did a movie about uh, four months ago, my only pandemic movie. And, you know, we went to set ADR stage and I was playing a role for one scene, one really long scene where they shot it on purpose so that the actor's face was the scene when they wanted to have dialogue because it was a stunt. It was a big, long stunt that they wanted to have dialogue right. in. And I guess they didn't, I don't know why did they, why they didn't consider him or if they did, I don't know. Um, but it was so fun just creating it. And sometimes, I mean, I'm with, I'm with the director of, of uh, Alita Battle Angel, um, Rodriguez. What's his first name? Uh, Robert. Robert Rodriguez. Great, great guy. So down to earth. We were improvising stuff. We were making stuff up for a $200 million movie. That's thrilling to me. <laughs> you're in this yeah. enormous thing and you're collaborating. And it's, <laughs> not, it's not nearly as regimented as you would think it is. Because right. if they're really good directors... The, that sense of play always has to be there mm -hmm. or you got nothing. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, it's just fun for me playing in a sandbox. That's a world-class production sandbox where you're still acting like kids. Yeah. I love that. You know, that you're not, you, there's not a sense of tension or stress mm -hmm. or 
nervousness or competition or desperation. It's just, okay, you have nothing to prove, really. You've got the job. Let's just play. And even those top directors are treating you like that. And I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, because, you know, they they have more of the budget and more of the time to really delve into the characters and, and see what they want. Yeah. They do. Cool. They do. I did a, a voice match only once for the movie called Noah. And I was Frank Langella's voice match in that. Okay. And again, I think they just they just brought me in when they needed to. They weren't really super worried. I don't think about how many times they brought me in. Mm-hmm. And that was what um, is a story. I did a session. The, the way Paramount sometimes works, particularly Paramount, um, they get very collaborative with very collaborative with the voice actor to the point where mm. if you're in crunch time toward the end when they're going to have to lock down production, lock down the picture. They'll sure they're talking through your agent, but if they really are in crunch time, they'll get your phone number. They'll talk to you at home and they'll get you in. And they just know, you know, they got a great relationship with CESD and they they know everything's cool. All the mm-hmm. contracts go through them. We did a session in the morning. They said we have to know where you're going to be all weekend. And I said, well, I'm flying to San Jose to see family. And it turns out eight o'clock that night. I just just done a session in the morning. They called me. We need you right away. It's eight <laughs> o'clock at night on a Friday. Can I like find a studio in the morning? No, we need it tonight by eleven. They knew I wasn't in town. I uh-huh. sat on my nephew's bed with my <laughs> iPad with no, I had no microphone with me, mm-hmm. stupidly. I mean, you usually <laughs> always have a microphone. I didn't have right. one this time. And I, t- I spoke into my iPad lines for the movie that ended up in the movie. And they somehow <laughs> EQ'd it well enough that it, it must have had a really good, that it was a brand new iPad. So it must have had a good mic. Mm-hmm. Right. But that was the weirdest session, one of the weirdest sessions I've ever had into an ipad like literally big flat ipad i'm just talking into it only a few lines but you know we had i had no booth i had no way to isolate anything but it still worked and they still paid me like 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 it was a session (laughs) cool i I love just picturing david sobolov in his nephew's room hunched over talking to the ipad his nephew maybe like bugging you in the back on or were were they no he wasn't there they they closed the door so i could just have some privacy but yeah just Mm -hmm. sitting on a bed in a child's bedroom doing a it was weird i liked it yeah cool (laughs) oh man so we talked about this earlier about, you know, especially when you were starting out, you do a lot more sort of screaming, big, hulking characters. And you've been very good at that and still being able to do it for totally different characters, even though they're all in the same register. So is that still sort of your voice print that you get booked for the most? Is there a specific character type that you get booked for the most? And is there a certain type of character that you aren't often known for that you'd love to give a shot? Um, I'm known for villains mostly, mm-hmm. and I am really crafting those auditions to be uh, uh, easier on the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, it, and the nice thing about animation too, sure you have to scream. Maybe you have to scream for five minutes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to scream for hours like in a video game. So that does make it easier. But yeah, I, I'm booked for villains mostly, or big bad. Sometimes the big bad guy with a with a heart of gold is nice. Mm-hmm. I played a part in a show called Kaijudo where I got to do that. Um, they're not going to book me for any 12 year old girls anytime soon. You know, there's a lot of parts that they're not going to book me for. What do I want to do that I haven't done? There's literally, I just someday, maybe if the part becomes available or there's some uh, subcontractor doing something with Batman where they Mm. need a Batman, uh, a new one, I would love a chance to do that someday. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, It's funny. I had an audition the other day for something that um, was very reminiscent. When I get a part that's even reminiscent of Batman, it's fun for me. Why Batman specifically? Was it some, you know, just a character you loved as a kid as well? or Something I did with Grodd relates. 
I put a tinge of sadness in his performance mm. that people don't really understand why, maybe, but it adds something that just something in his character because there was a sadness in him. And I think there's mm-hmm. there's a bit of sadness in, in Batman. Yeah, to play a strong character with a vulnerability that comes out in a very subtle way is interesting to me. With a, a character with a lot of psychological issues in his background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And that's something that I noticed with Grodd watching the show, like, especially as episodes went on. First of all, I'm totally blinking on, on Iris's dad's name, the, the captain, but Joe. He, Joe, that's right. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen in that entire series, unflappable Joe terrified was because of Grodd. But then, you know, the next few episodes where you get introduced to Grodd, it really, he, he gets so many more dimensions and, um, and you can totally get an understanding of sort of that sadness. And even though he's a villain, he doesn't like you're, you're rooting for him still, you know, it seems like even though he's portrayed as a villain, his desire is to not be a villain. You know, uh, I think he doesn't really know at first what he's supposed to be. And I've had the same director, Jeff Garrett, who's one of the co-producers on the show. We worked together on every single Grodd episode and have I done nine now or seven? It's been the course of seven years, I think somewhere around there. And we've carefully crafted the arc so that over time he gets more intelligent. Over time, he starts mm-hmm. to understand who he is a bit more. Now in this last episode, um, thankfully the writers brought us to a place where he can, sort of a new place for God. So we'll see where he goes from here. Hmm. Um, but I, I love it when he's sort of exploring who he is and, and trying to flesh that out. But then, you know, a lot of people, they, they think of him as a big bad villain in this show, of course, and they try to take him down. And, you know, just like you're trying to trap an animal that you gain his trust. And that's what sometimes other characters would do with Grodd. And when he was realized that he was betrayed, then the big bad animal comes out. Right. It's almost like the portrayal of the witch in Wicked in the musical version of Wizard of Oz, where just people were really horrible to her. So she gets angry and she turns Mm -hmm. bad. I think that that happens with, uh, with people and with any being, if you're, if you're down on them enough, if you, if you abuse them enough, they strike out. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a lot of that in Grodd. Yeah, definitely. And that's especially now more than ever. I feel like that's such a powerful thing. I think that's one of the reasons the Joker film did so well was because it really touched on that. Um, just being pushed enough, the mental consequences that can come from that. But so I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because you know, we touch on a lot of different things. And you said, especially these days, the one thing that you notice in actors recently is they're not as trained as they were maybe when you started out. But so training is incredibly important, but there are also just life experiences that that you don't go through with the intent of improving your acting that somehow help your acting. So are there any anecdotes or hobbies unrelated to voice acting that you found helped your voice acting? Well, I have hobbies other than voice acting. They probably have nothing to do with my voice acting, but uh-huh. I enjoy them. I have collected antique product packaging ever since I was 10 years old. And oh, my wow. entire home is full of packaging from the 1880s to the 1940s uh, and associated items. And just like you see back here, um, this microphone, it's not packaging, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely has a logo on it. This yeah. is a flag from a 1940s NBC flag Wow, uh, from the NBC network. And just, Things that I love things that exist today, but were in their old form then. Like NBC still exists today. And, you know, I've got a Tide box from 1953. I've got a, a Ritz box from 1945. It's just weird. I don't know. It's pop culture. It's another type of pop culture. Things that influence my voice acting 
that I do outside of voice acting. Um, I guess other than just being awake, aware, and alive, <laughs> that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, I, I love how this conversation, we haven't really focused on voice print much. And as I've said, you know, I believe the voice print, sometimes the best voice prints come to you. If you put them on, you have to go back and do all the other work too. You can't let the voice act for you. And I, and I think there, that's probably why I like film. I think I'm realizing that now. There's this deep realism in it mm -hmm. uh, quite often that is unavoidable and you have to always return to it. You have to match the realism of the live actors. Right. And even though we Grodd is, is who he is, we tried to do that with Grodd as best mm -hmm. as we could. Yeah, I think it definitely paid off. And and that's something that I've heard you talk about um, uh, elsewhere is, which I love this approach is, you know, you don't start off your auditions thinking of a voice print. You you start off at the core and then let things layers build around it, which is something that now more than ever is important and something that I've tried to do more often and something that ultimately, uh, you know, leads to more unique um, multi-dimensional portrayals of characters. It's okay if you have to do four or five takes. It's okay if you have to think about it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, you want to book a role that's going to, you know, give you a series lead. You may not be able to do that in one take. You know, it might take a little bit of deeper thought to get there, and yeah. that's fine. Um, yeah, it's just it's also it's like being willing to have a work ethic. You know, mm -hmm. like anything else, you got to work through things. Um, when I did. A part years ago in um, Beast Wars, it was called many years ago. It was a mm. Transformers show. Yeah. When we did the audition, it was a 40-minute audition where we went through all the layers of the character. And we built it like a sandwich. And kind of between me, the producer, and the director, we discovered it together. It was almost like weird. It's like it was an audition, but it wasn't. It was almost like I think they knew they wanted to tire, hire me, and we were just exploring the character. During the whole 40 minutes, you're going through the same copy and then just getting adjustments and different layers to put on? Yeah, or were there it was emotional layers. Okay. No, it was emotional layers. It's like he needs to have the vulnerability or he needs to be have a, this this goal in mind of, of, of getting his attacking his prey, meaning of finding the man that, uh, that hurt him and destroying him. And, mm -hmm. and then it's like you're an ally of the good guys, but you don't want to get too close to them. And there's mm -hmm. lots of different things of who he was that layered the character and then they said let's put a little Clint Eastwood in there <laughs> yeah with the, the attitude not the voice so much right <laughs> yeah so I mean you're always looking for what makes the character compelling and I say to students you can't be good you can't be great you have to be compelling why would I cast you when there's 600 other people that tried for this right there was one time when I was given some insight by a, a, a producer he said why did I cast you he brought this up he mm -hmm. said there were literally 400 auditions for your part. You were the only one that didn't pretend to be an animal because he was huh. supposed to be an animal. And mm -hmm. I have explored sort of his, what his emotions would be like. And he mm -hmm. thought that would be more interesting than just somebody who was going. Right. Wow. If, not, yeah. to take away from the, not to take away from the voice actors that are highly skilled at that. I happen to not be one of them. You know, mm -hmm. I'm playing this a lot like a, I'm, I'm approaching my approaching my career a lot like an on-camera career. You know, you'll know it's David Sobolov probably, but you'll feel that I'm playing different characters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, a similar voice print between Grodd and your role on um, Guardians of the Galaxy. But it's if you're watching both of them, you're not thinking that's just the same character at all. It, they could not be more opposite. Yeah. I would hope. You know, I, I think I compare that more to Robocop. But yeah, that's um, I actually did kind of start with Robocop and go from there with with, with Drax. 
the main thing with Drax is that he doesn't really get anything that isn't literal. Yeah. And he doesn't know he's in a comedy show. Big advice for everybody. Don't play the comedy. Just, just play the scene, play the situation. Let the writers be funny. Mm. Say their words. When you're being, oftentimes when somebody's funny, they're in real life, they're not trying to be funny. They just are. And you got to approach it in the moment. Staying in the moment is really important for everything. It's really, it's really hard to do in all aspects of life. But you'll be most successful as an actor if you're able to do it. Another another thing about um, exploring an, an audition, not worrying about having a voice print up front, that takes a lot of trust. You're mm-hmm. trusting yourself and you're trusting the process and you're you're not worrying about whether or not you get cast. You can't worry about getting the job. You have to play another person's life. Who cares if that, that other person isn't getting hired by anybody? Right. That other person's just existing, so let him live. And if he lives really well, maybe they'll hire you. You can't be even thinking about getting the job. That wraps up my chat with David Sobolov. I hope you enjoyed and absorbed the decades of incredible experiences he went through and the tips that came from them, like tip number one. If you have a vocally strenuous session coming up, try to schedule it for the end of the week so you'll have the weekend to rest. And really rest your voice by texting instead of calling and getting more sleep. Tea remedies can be very comforting, but the quickest way to actually heal your voice is vocal rest. Two, take advantage of any opportunity you have to record Scratch, which is the temporary voice a production uses as a guide until perhaps a final actor is hired. With the increase of CGI characters in live action, some of David's biggest film voice roles all started as scratch tracks that he managed to impress enough on to be hired as the permanent voice. And three, when auditioning for comedies, maybe don't play the comedy, but play the scene. Trust that the writing is inherently funny. Usually in life, when something funny happens, it comes from people living in the moment, not cracking jokes. So focus on your character living in the reality of the situation. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up.